Hello, my name is Oliver Kinner. And I'm Jamie Adams, and this is Brainwaves episode 124, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 26th of June, 2023. Embracer de-embraces a great deal. New TSR is old news. And Into the Unknown quacks again. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. We're going to start with some probably um, quite bad news. At the beginning of 2022, Embracer Group, a Swedish-based company that owns many different game studios, completed its purchase of Asmodee. Since that time, we've reported many times on the moves by that company to expand, bring on questionable investment, and generally gobble up as much of the global market as it could. Now it seems that its period of rabbit growth is over and Embracer is having to tighten the purse strings. This was originally reported on site BoardGameWire and has also been covered across the gaming hobby on IGN and ICV2 as it affects the world of computer games. From the restructuring announcement on Embracer's homepage, this is CEO Lars Wingerfors, who was also one of the co-founders. Today, we announce a comprehensive restructuring program that will enable us to realize untapped potential in Embracer Group and better optimize the use of our resources. Across the group, we are now initiating multiple actions to strengthen our cash flow generation and leverage our portfolio of IPs to become a stronger company and setting out on a stable future to build even greater games to the benefit of gamers and fans across the globe. The CEO also put out an open letter in which they said this. The program is divided into different phases until March 2024, with focused on cost savings, capital allocation, efficiency, and consolidation. The initial phase, which is initiated immediately, mainly targets cost savings across the group. The next phase, which also starts immediately, will require further analysis to determine specific actions. The last phase will focus on internal consolidation, further resource utilization, and more synergies across the group. The actions for each affected company will be implemented by the new interim COO and CSO in collaboration with each operative group CEO and management teams. Embracer currently engages close to 17,000 people, and while that number will be lower by the end of the year, it is too early to give an exact forecast on this. It is painful to see talented team members leave. Our people are what make up the very fabric of Embracer. I understand and respect that many of you will be worried about your own position, and I don't have all the answers to all the questions. I want to be clear that the decisions about this program were not taken lightly. What this means for the companies owned by Embracer is that there will be a lot of layoffs across the various studios and some in development projects will not be released. The company is looking to reduce their capital expenditure by about £200 million in the 2024-2025 financial year. The effort is being spearheaded by Matthew Karch, the Interim Chief Operating Officer, and Phil Rogers, the Interim Chief Strategy Officer. Thanks to Chris Prescott from Unfringed Games for bringing this to our attention in the Discord. So what does this mean for Asmodee? Nobody really knows until we have further announcements. I mean, we do know that Asmodee are reporting healthy numbers as part of the group, so maybe they will remain untouched. We I don't know. know. Yeah. I think we just have to wait and see and hope that when these announcements come, people who are affected, you know, will find new jobs in the industry. I really hope so. And can I just say, I was saying to Oliver during this, I really don't like the corporate speak in this. I know it's a, you know, I know you need to have that official language that you have to follow, but my goodness, it just reeks of just, ah, I don't like mm. it. No. So we have covered many times on this podcast the company often referred to as New TSR. 
For those of you not familiar, a little history is probably in order. Tactical Studies Rules was the original company that released Dungeons & Dragons by Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax way back in 1974. That company was eventually bought by Wizards of the Coast in 1997, when TSR was close to bankruptcy. Wizards of the Coast went on to release various versions of Dungeons & Dragons over the years, from 3rd edition all the way up to the incredibly popular 5th edition of the game that has seen the fortunes of both D&D, Wizards of the Coast, and role-playing in general on the continual rise. Some, however, were unhappy with the strides Wizards were making in bringing Dungeons & Dragons to a wider and more diverse audience. They decided to revive the name Tactical Studies Rules and pursue their own RPGs that were more traditional in flavour and would ignore all the woke nonsense that they perceived was being committed by those behind the current edition of Dungeons & Dragons. If it's not clear, I was using quotation marks over the words traditional and woke. This version of the company was set up by Ernie Gygax Jr., the son of E. Gary Gygax, and also Justin Lanassa. It's colloquially referred to as New TSR due to a, let's say, a host of reasons. They've had all sorts of controversies from various examples of white supremacist language in their upcoming Star Frontiers RPG, to posting transphobic, homophobic, and various other horrible things to their Twitter accounts. They managed to kick up enough of a fuss to attract the attention of Wizards of the Coast lawyers. Wizards of the Coast sued New TSR in order to stop them publishing Star Frontiers, as they believed it was bringing the D&D brand into disrepute. That lawsuit also includes accusations of perjury with regards to the setting up of new TSR on the part of Justin Lanassa. Now, we covered this back in episode 107, and since then, things have been, well, relatively quiet because it's been court proceedings. And we can't really speculate, well, we can speculate, but we haven't been able to report on what's been going on. However, it seems now that everything is over for new TSR. Shared on Twitter by David Floor, whose tweets we've shared before regarding the original Star Frontiers controversy. Huge news. New TSR has filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy and has asked for a stay in the WOTC case. There were some details that came out of the bankruptcy filings. New TSR's gross revenue for 2023, up to that point, was $621.93. Their liabilities are $384,000. It is our understanding that Chapter 7 bankruptcy is a kind that a company cannot come back from. The company will have its assets sold off to pay as much debt as possible and then be dissolved. Thank you very much to Corey in our Discord for bringing this one to our attention. Yeah. Now, we like to try and remain relatively you know, unbiased when it comes to certain stories in, in the uh, tabletop space. However... Actually, you know what? I don't care. <laughs> you yeah. reap what you sow, lads. I was going to say. Um, and yeah, Chapter 7 bankruptcy is about protecting the company against further claims and things like that. But still, it is really in your operating and stuff like that. So there's a score of apparently that can still operate. But I think it is all about yeah, dissolving the company ultimately. So, yeah, liabilities of $384,000 against the revenue, and there's revenue of six hundred twenty-one ninety-three. So that's not even profit. It's, you know, the profit is obviously lower than the revenue. So, hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah, let's, let's move on before we just gloat. I don't often gloat, but they've had it coming. They're, they've just been, they've been appalling. They have, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right, moving on. Moving on to another controversy. In episode 122, we covered the news that YouTube channel Quacklope had been effectively accused of blackmail 
by publisher Into the Unknown, the makers of Aeon Trespass Odyssey. Jesse Anderson, the head of Quackalope, had issued a statement video on the 23rd of May, which we covered. And since then, there had been no further movement on the story, until now. On the 17th of June, Into the Unknown issued a new statement responding to the video that Jesse had put out. Like last time, there's quite a lot of text, so we aren't going to cover it all. The piece starts out like this. Hello, this is Into the Unknown Studio. We're yet again responding to the words of Mr. Jesse Anderson, a.k.a. Quackalope, in relation to his follow-up video, Our Statement, and the live stream. We'd very much like to wish it was all a big misunderstanding. Sadly, it was not. We are disappointed in Mr. Anderson's continued denial, lack of accountability and ethics, and his efforts to change the narrative and misrepresent the facts yet again. We also categorically condemn the casual linguistic racism Mr. Anderson employs in his former video, suggesting it was some kind of language barrier that led to a misunderstanding. Despite being based in Europe, we know English well enough, our correspondence is also checked by a native speaker. We heard Mr. Anderson loud and clear. They go on to accuse Jesse Anderson of having a pattern of behaviour that Into the Unknown found questionable at best. They detail an incident involving the game Kingdoms Forlorn that they sent a prototype of to Quackalope to play. During one of the videos, Jesse committed to giving away one of the miniatures from the prototype without first consulting with Into the Unknown. Into the Unknown subsequently cleared this giveaway with Quackalope, but felt they were put in a place where they couldn't do anything else. They say, This strong-arming tactic, to weaponize his followers, is something Mr. Anderson is known for, and to which you will find ample evidence across all his videos. He is said to have suggested to his fans to raid other YouTube creators' videos' comment sections to recruit new viewers. This behaviour is also widely reported by other sources, in other cases, from fellow YouTubers, commentators, board game designers. Into the Unknown's final accusation of the statement points to the post Jesse made up to and around the horrible truth of Aeon Trespass Odyssey. Quackalope made many videos around the game, all with the Aeon's End hashtag. This was not the hashtag that Into the Unknown were using across their content and other creators. That was Aeon Trespass Odyssey. The only video of the several the channel created that did have the correct hashtag was the Horrible Truth one. Into the Unknown also accused Quackalope of releasing that at prime time for YouTube and the other videos at suboptimal times. Into the Unknown attaches screen capture to prove their point. It is worth pointing out that we weren't expecting anything more from Quackalope after last video due to Jesse's studying at the yeshiva and his imminent wedding. The Horrible Truth video has been removed from the channel. Now, like last time I reported on this, uh, I feel quite strongly, and I must say I'm, I'm pleased that Into the Unknown is so outspoken about and not backing down on it. The problem is at the moment it's, it's a battle of words, there aren't any actions. Uh, some people will obviously have noticed and, and take actions accordingly, but I don't think um, Quackalope's staunch followers will you know, think any differently. And um, yeah, it really just only reaffirms what probably other people have already suspected or know about. So I think ultimately, you know, if, if this is taken seriously, it, it really should be settled in court. Not that I'm saying anyone should sue anyone, but 
ultimately, I guess I am saying that. <laughs> you're, you're, saying, I mean, you're saying that court proceedings should happen. There should be some <laughs> yeah. litigation involved, Oliver. It's, you don't need to pussyfoot around it. I, I think so. And then also, just to address the thing about racism, I get, guess maybe that is maybe a step too far, but at the same time, when I was seeing that thing about you know, the, the language barrier in quotes, I felt as, as someone who's, you know, I'm, I'm a German um, citizen, I'm, I'm born from, you know, born in Germany. Uh, if someone said to me that, you know, ling- English uh, was a language barrier for me, I'd probably also feel that slightly racist, uh, you know, if it was aimed at me in the same way. So I can see where they're coming from. Maybe I wouldn't have made that, you know, statement in a public statement. I wouldn't have probably phrased it differently, but I can see where they're coming from. So, Yes, um, as I say, I'm glad that into the, into the unknown haven't just let it go and did respond to Jesse's response. Um, but we'll we'll see if maybe Jesse's going to respond in turn and this just carries on. I don't know. Yeah, um, I just right. wish there was something more sort of concrete coming out of it in the in the sense of you know a litigate a court case of litigation or, or whatever yeah. the technical terms are. It would be nice. I know Ian, who sadly is not here today, as you may have noticed. Um, Ian's thoughts are you know he was saying that he thought they were right to call out Jesse more, but he thought that uh, Into the Unknown's attitude was coming across as quite defensive. There was an incident recently with the Aeon's Trespass Odyssey, uh, by no pun included, and apparently they got a couple of things wrong in the review, and they were described as being malicious by Into the Unknown. Uh, No pun included were described to be malicious. I mean, I... Uh, yeah, I don't yes, I, think, I, I think once he's sort of backed into a corner, you know, maybe you have to be more careful. But I think, in principle, I agree that this isn't just let go. Um, but on the other hand, I do think, even though this is now made public, and I'm glad we are reporting on it as well, I, I don't know whether it's going to change the situation as much um, as it probably should. But there we are. So next, on to the news. As reported by Board Game Wire, Asmodee, the company that likely owns some, if not almost all of your favourite publishers, depending on your type of games, is trying to make it easier for stores to get their games, at least in Europe. Asmodee have launched the European Player Network, which will be a central hub for European retailers to get the games that are produced by Asmodee-owned publishers and more besides. Now, the article from Board Game Wire also highlighted that Embracer Group will be looking at some of the properties Asmodee own to turn into video games and that Asmodee brought in $1.2 billion last year for Embracer Group. So this is compared to the $1.25 billion that the PC and console segments of Embracer Group brought in. So that's impressive from Asmodee, and I guess this is sort of a follow-on to our earlier story about Embracer Group's layoffs. Yeah. But uh, Asmodee, listen, like them or loathe them, they're doing a lot of stuff. Of course they are. They've got a lot of publishers. Yeah, lots of of brands underneath them. (laughs) Yeah. But it's it's definitely an impressive figure because I would still argue, even though board games and and the tabletop industry is growing and obviously some people might say we're in a golden age at the moment, still comparing almost like for like with against PC and console games uh, within the same, you know, Embracer group heading, is really impressive. So either Embracer Group have made the right decision buying Asmodee versus what they have, or Asmodee is just doing well, and, and the industry as a whole, in that sense, is doing well. I know it's probably 
bad to say draw one conclusion from Asmodee doing well to the rest of the industry, but there is certainly some sort of trend there. So yeah, good news for Europe certainly, but yeah, we'll see. Oliver, I believe I believe it's your uh, you have now somewhat subsumed my awards role. I'm happy for this. I'm very happy for this, but uh, it's one of the one of the I think one of the most prestigious awards in the tabletop gaming calendar, and the finalists have just been announced. And yes, I, 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 I want to talk about this because I really like this. So this is uh, the Diana Jones Award, an annual award given out at every Gen Con to celebrate excellence in gaming. It has been given to conventions, individual designers, games, and even movements within gaming. This year's finalists for the award have just been announced. They are... Linda Kodega, journalist and critic working for io9 and Gizmodo, and who has appeared on this podcast. We've interviewed them before. Coyote and Crow RPG by Connor Alexander and published by Coyote and Crow. This is a game with Native American themes and setting details written by people from that cultural background. Journey through the Radiant Citadel, which is a Dungeons and Dragons source book written by people of color and containing a setting featuring places inspired by the various cultures of the people who wrote it. It was the first D&D book to be written entirely by people of color. Rosenstrasse, a role-playing game published by Unruly Warbirds and written by Moira Turkington, and Dr. Jessica Hammer. This is an RPG about the loss of civil liberties in Berlin under the Third Reich, and historical women's protest. It's again something close to my heart uh, coming from Berlin. And then finally, we've got Cole Worley, designer at Leader Games and co-founder of Worley Gig. Cole is probably best known for Root, and I would argue he might even be best known for many other games under the Worley Gig um, branding as well. But of course, yeah, I think most people will know Root yeah. uh, now, on company the, or, or some, something like that. If anyone's a recent listener to Brainwaves and maybe have not heard of the Diana Jones Award, the award is actually a Perspex pyramid in which is one of the final fragments of the much-criticized Indiana Jones RPG by TSR, and that's the old TSR. And apparently, the Indiana Jones RPG was so bad that TSR ordered all the copies uh, recalled and destroyed, and the final front cover, which had the words Diana Jones on it, was encased in a Perspex pyramid. Nice. So this is what's been given out. Also, I think it was last year, or maybe it was two years ago, I think it was last year, that there was um, a story that the original Diana Jones Award pyramid had got lost in the mail. Yes. So we don't know if this if they found it or this is an entirely new one and they actually had another one. Now, if they did have another, great. If they found it, brilliant. I wish we'd known about it. But it's a great award. And I think I love the fact that it's such a diverse group of nominees and it's such a wide ranging it's such a diverse and wide ranging set of categories that you can choose from yeah and i was going to say that obviously the history of the physical award itself is interesting but the point is that diverse selection of, of people backgrounds everything i mean let's say just for me being a born and bred berliner seeing something like orzenstrasse in there even though i'm not an rpg player but just just seeing that something like that mentioned great Having a game that was entirely written by uh, people of color and, and representing their culture in that game, or it's, it's a source book in this case for D and D, or indeed Coyote and Crow, people yeah. people from the cultural background. It's not this right. We're a bunch of middle class white people. What do we know about Native American culture? 
are right you've seen the john wayne films yeah let's yeah. do that <laughs> exactly cowboys and indians that's how that works, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no this is as i say just generally great to see and, and previous awards uh, were yeah amazing and, and i think linda is very pleased with the announcement as well they were tweeting on twitter about it and pointing out how you know the sort of background of, of how it all came about and yes i think all of these people deserve being uh, announced as finalists we'll, we'll see what happens and congratulations to all of you congratulations yeah we will we will announce the winners as and when they are announced Hello everyone, this is Ian from the Editing Suite. Just a little clarification on that piece. The original Diana Jones Award that Jamie mentioned was lost a couple of years ago. They've never found it again. So it is a new physical award that is now being given out to the winner. Yes, now onto something maybe not quite so positive, Jamie. Yes, a story originally reported by the site Cannibal Halflings Gaming. Tasty. Renegade Game Studios, publishers of Artisans of Splendent Vale and the Power Rangers RPG, amongst a great deal of others, seem to send their lawyers after a company called Polyhedral Knights. Polyhedral Knights were just at the end of a crowdfunding campaign for an RPG called Renegade City. On the 16th of June, they received a cease and desist notice from Renegade Games that included the following. Unfortunately... Your use of the term renegade in the title of your new game creates the likelihood that consumers might be confused between our clients' games and your game, or believe that the two are connected or affiliated. The likelihood of confusion is particularly acute because you are using the renegade element on the identical types of products that are sold by renegade, and you are both selling to the same types of consumers in the same market channels. As such, Renegade must ask that you agree to rename your game to remove the Renegade element. This was received about nine hours before the crowdfunding campaign was due to end. The goal of that campaign was $3,000 and the creator said there was no way they could fight the charge. Thankfully, the story does seem to have a happy ending. Posting on the 19th of June, the Polyhedral Knights said on their Facebook page, Hey there everyone, good news. I talk with the lawyers representing Renegade Game Studio. It seems to be a misunderstanding, and once we talked, we both saw each other's side on a few points. I gave them some assurances that I wasn't trying to poach business from them, and that we are not looking to get them in any trouble for us having a similar art to another IP. Once we pointed out that we share an art style, which can't be copyrighted or trademarked, and a similar publicly commercial font with a certain IP, and that is all, they seemed a little more at ease. Turns out that it will be okay with us using Renegade City for this game name. So please go easy on these guys, they didn't know and are now better informed. We're all brothers and sisters in the gaming world, we need to play nice on the playground. Thanks again for everyone's support, that means a lot to me. So this recalls, at least to my mind, several years ago when the company's video game story, it was the company King Games, who is most famous for Candy Crush Saga. They sent lawyers in a very similar situation after the company that made the game, the Banner Saga, because they were looking, because they used the name Saga in it. (laughs) That whole idea of having to defend your intellectual copyright for a certain amount of time, it's really stupid. And you get these stories. I'm sorry. I, (laughs) yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, with a name like Renegade, if, if you'd name your company Renegade, I think you have to expect that that word will be used in other games and other things. I mean, it's to me, it's just a yeah, term. It's not even exactly. spelled differently or anything. And I get maybe if they were using the same font, but again, if it's a publicly available font, yeah, you know, that's why some businesses have their own logo design, designed their own font designs that is, you know, copyrighted by them, trademarked to them. It's it's theirs. But if you use something that's publicly available and and a word that is just a general term, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what would you expect. So I'm I'm glad that this has been yes. sorted out for sure. A general a general note: be a, be wary of trying to throw your weight around. Yeah, that's that's a general rule. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of throwing your weight around, nice. Cryptozoic, the company behind the DC deck building game, found themselves being called out for non-payment of artists recently. Marco Tamura posted an open letter to Cryptozoic on Twitter on the 12th of June. It went like this. Hello at Cryptozoic Entertainment and CEO at Corey Hudson-Jones. Earlier this year, I worked with Cryptozoic on an upcoming project of theirs. All illustrations were delivered within the deadlines. Unfortunately, three months after the first due date, I haven't received a single payment yet. I have talked to other artists, and I found out that I'm not alone in this one. And digging a little deeper in the company's history, I've seen that this is not the first time they do that. Back in 2021, they did the same thing on another project for at DC Official, DC Comics. The same happened in 2019 Lord of the Rings game, and yet again on their Hex TCG years ago. They seem to do this again and again, especially with artists from third world nations. I'm fortunate enough to have a full-time job and also other clients, but many artists count on this money to pay rent, medical bills, food, and provide for their families. I've tried contacting them several times, but they either ghost me or give me vague responses that never point to any specific date or even a time frame. I've also tried contacting at Corey Hudson-Jones and at Cryptozoic via email and LinkedIn, but also never got any response up until today. I hope at Cryptozoic dishonors the contract we all signed and pay what they own us. To all my artist colleagues that read this thread, be aware that at Cryptozoic does not respect their artists nor honor their own contracts. Now it seems the situation is resolved. Marco posted on the 14th of June. Hey guys, we received an email from at Cryptozoic stating that all payments should be in within the next five business days. For all the people that retweeted, commented and took the time to help us in this campaign, I want to thank you all. Best regards. Marco Tamura. Yeah, I mean, the, the date's 12th of June. This goes out on Twitter complaining that payment isn't happening. And then two days later, another message comes that they will pay in the next five business days. I hope that's actually happened by now. We're, we're recording the 23rd of June. So five business days, I think, have passed. But yeah, either way, it's just a bit of a weird coincidence that it took someone going public for a response to happen, maybe. Well, I don't know, maybe there's no connection, but... <laughs> I have, I have a... I have a... You know, again, I'm being very cynical. I don't think it's, it's you know, a surprise at all. Been getting away with it for a while. And then someone goes, actually, this is not great. And they go, oh, right, we've been found out. Quick, um, uh, do something. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, as I say, glad it's got resolved. Glad that this going public has helped. But it shouldn't be like this. No, it pay shouldn't. People, or at least if you can't pay, be honest about it, whatever it may be. But don't just go quiet, as we always say. Communicate. But ultimately... Pay the people for the work. Yes, labor is entitled to all it creates. It's, it's a potential issue we have within the industry, I think, that 
lot of work is expected for free. Oh no, I, I, like I, I think it's a potential problem. I think it's a, I think it's a recurrent and endemic problem. People are doing it for the love of the hobby. Well, unfortunately, mm. the love of the hobby won't pay bills, won't put food on the table. Exactly. I, you know, I say this having done a lot of stuff for the love of the hobby, like this. Um, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Indie shop and importer Black Cat Games has announced it's closing its doors due to the person who runs the company taking up more responsibilities at their day job. Now, Black Cat was an importer of small games from Japan. However, all is not lost for those looking for interesting games from Japan. Ninja Star Games will be taking over what Black Cat was doing. Now, thank you very much to Hal Duncan from our Discord for sharing this story and bringing it to our attention. Best of luck to the owner from, uh, of Black Cat for the future. And a salient reminder that a lot of folk in this hobby have more than one job, and it's hard to make a living in tabletop games. It is. Again, I'm, I'm glad that there's some positive outcome, but yeah... Companies closing down yet again. Sad news. Uh, yeah, as opposed to companies closing down, there's a new one forming, I believe. There is. Antoine Bowser, the designer for games such as Seven Wonders, Hanabi, Namiji, and Old Tree, and Thomas Provost, co-founder of Reapers Production, a Belgian board game publisher of games such as Seven Wonders Duel, Fun Facts, and Just One, have announced they will be launching Playpunk, a new publishing company. The new company puts authors at its core and promises that their games will be polished down to the smallest detail. Game design, narrative, ergonomics, graphics, production, writing. Playpunk is in the process of publishing two new games. Captain Flip by Paolo Mori and Remo Consadori, a family game for two to five players which will hit stores in the first quarter of 2024. And an expert game for two or four players by Gregory Grode, and Mathieu Broussel to be released at Spiel Essen next year. And apologies for me pronouncing these names so terribly. But yeah, we've got lots of great names being mentioned here and all working together, which I think is great to see that these designers and, and owners of publishers coming together, trying to make games that fit a specific requirement, making sure they're polished and work well and all those sort of things. So yeah, positive news. Modifius Entertainment, creator and publisher of tabletop RPGs, war games, board games, and card games, acquired some of Nordic Weasel Games' intellectual properties. The deal covers Nordic Weasel's five core system, Weasel Tech, as well as many of the games in the line. Ivan Sorensen, the game designer behind Nordic Weasel, will be kept on by Modifius as a lead writer. Modifius plan to develop new games in the five series, starting with five parsecs from home, and are currently working on two standalone games five parsecs tactics, and five parsecs planetfall. They're also planning expansions for five leagues from the Borderlands and working on more five core games, including a retail edition of Five Men from Normandy. Again, it's nice. I hadn't heard of Nordic Weasel. Um, I love the name. As you may be able to guess, I find it hard not to laugh, but it's a great name. Uh, But it is nice to see that, you know, a company like Nordic Weasel is finding a home with a larger company like Modifius, who's got quite a reputation and quite a portfolio. Yeah, and I think it's just literally Sorensen who's, who is Nordic Weasel. So it's just one person, mm-hmm. possibly others working in collaboration. So it's it's probably a very tiny company and I've looked at the oh, website. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's nice to see that someone like Modifius is buying or, or helping, uh, acquiring, so he is buying Nordic Weasel uh, uh, by the looks of it, a relatively small company and working together and, and bringing their products to hopefully a wider audience. Oh, yeah. 
Magic the Gathering looms large over our hobby, raking in barrels of cash for its publisher, Wizards of the Coast, and having a huge fan base worldwide. In recent years, the game has been branching out and has started to bring in other IPs to the world of the card game. Warhammer 40,000 has featured, and the most recent franchise to get the Magic the Gathering treatment is Lord of the Rings. The full title of that release is quite the mouthful. Magic the Gathering Universes Beyond, Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth. The set is due for release imminently, and amongst the many thousands of boxes and millions of cards is a single unique card. The One Ring 001 out of 001 card is a unique version of the One Ring that Wizards of the Coast have printed only one copy of. Cassius Mars Sr., former NFL player, put a bounty of $500,000 on the card. Then Dave and Adam's card world offered $1 million. But now, a store in Spain has set the bounty at 2 million euros, which is around $2.16 million. Gremio de Dragones, Guild of Dragons, has offered the bounty on the card, which is only available in the collector boosters. The card can also only be found in the English collector boosters. So after the bidding it up, and I think the original bids also had a deadline by which the by which time by which time the card had to be presented. And I think the deadlines possibly have run out. But anyway, yeah, this is now obviously the latest two million euros over two million US dollars, depending on current market fluctuations or that. That's it's crazy. So I mean, I mean, it's um, it's it's Magic the Gathering, which is you know already gangbusters, and then it's Lord of the Rings again, two huge things, and then it's a single card. I mean, the yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a piece of cardboard or card, pasteboard. Card. Yeah, 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 and oh god, yeah, it's it's just a unique single printing. That's all, unless obviously yep. we have another pub printer who might have. Print no. extra copies. I think no, they right. they won't. Anyway, like, this is no. the only one they're doing. <laughs> did, um, didn't we did we report on this before where someone reprinted stuff? Anyway, I mean possibly, um, but oh, but also <laughs> there's also been a lot of, let's say, certain vocal minorities in the uh, Magic the Gathering community in uproar because how dare uh, Lord of the Rings characters be reinterpreted as non-white people. Mm. To which I say, mm, your tears are so salty, they are wonderful. <laughs> yes. I'm unbiased, apparently. No, absolutely. Now, on to even happier news. Maybe. WebSphere Inc., a toys and gifts retailer offering miniatures, RPGs, video games, board games, and apparel, has announced it will launch a line of games under the trademark Mayfair Games. Now, Mayfair ceased operations in 2018 after selling its assets to Asmodee Group. At the time, Mayfair published games such as Agricola, Grand Austria Hotel, and Patchwork. So, some hefty games there. With the Mayfair trademarks abandoned, WebSphere filed with the US Patent and Trademark Office to register and begin using the marks for hobby game products. With no objections filed during the comment periods, WebSphere received notices of allowance from the US PTO from Mayfair Games and its logo on the 31st of January of this year. WebSphere president John Houston explained the motivation to reinstate the Mayfair brand by saying, Growing up, Mayfair games were a staple at our house. The journey ahead is as much a personal passion as it is a business venture. I cannot wait to share what we have in store. Larry Rosny, who was president of Mayfair games at the time of the sell to Asmodee, approved of the plans when he said, I'm happy to see Mayfair games is coming back. I'm looking forward to seeing what games are coming back into print. 
well, good to see Mayfair Games coming back. Let's see what's going to happen this time with Web Sphere. I was going to say, I also can't reprint those games because I'm no. owned by Esmodee. But I was going to yeah. say they're all, yeah. <laughs> but obviously something is in the works and that's nice to see, definitely. Now, speaking about other things that are in the works, uh, we always want to list uh, jobs, opportunities and events. So if you have anything, please get in touch. There's more information later. But let's point out the Tabletop Jobs group on Facebook. There's a link in the description below if you want to look for jobs. A lot of them are based in the US, but there'll be some in the UK as well. So have a look there. And of course, we need to thank our patrons, James Naylor, as well as Sean Newman. If you want to become a if you want to become a patron yourself, please go to patreon.com slash the giant brain. And there's other ways to support us as well. Metallic Dice Games. We still have the promo code Roll with Brains or Capitals in uh, on the metallicdicegames.com website. And there's apparel from Sir Meeple at sirmeeple.com slash collection slash the hyphen giant hyphen brain. And there's other ways to support as well at giantbrain.co.uk slash support hyphen us hyphen you. Now, Jamie, what's happening? I think have you have you got some letters for us oh, that you have oh, the monopoly of? Hey, hey, <laughs> glowing letters of recommendation. Now, <laughs> there have been many combinations over the years that have ended up seeming completely natural and have been celebrated the world over since. Gin and tonic, raspberry and ripple, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, Oliver Kinner, Ian McAllister, and Jamie Adams. <sighs> But I hear you cry, we need a new one. Well, dear, dear listener, <laughs> try this one on for size. A pairing of the 88-year-old Monopoly and the 85-year-old Scrabble. That's right, it's Monopoly Scrabble. And how does it work? Well, if I need to explain it to you, then obviously it doesn't make sense. So here's how it works. It's Monopoly, right? But instead of dice dictating movement, it's the value of the words you spell on the Scrabble tiles on the board in the middle of the Monopoly properties. Now, there are some premium squares on this uh, board, and if you place a tile over it, you can buy the property right there. But, buyer beware, if an opponent can successfully place a word that uses said premium tile, the property goes to them. Now, according to Hasbro and Winning Moves, who are the publishers, the game will take about an hour, I'll believe it when I see it, and, my apologies, it should be called Monopoly, trademark, Scrabble, trademark. So, everything I've said, Monopoly, Scrabble, yeah, the trademark's in. Anyway, so, and also very quickly, I want to say whenever Scrabble, trademark, comes up, I, I usually do this, and this time is no different. Uh, shout out to my cousin Ali from Toronto, uh, who regularly plays games of Scrabble against herself. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Wow. I possibly? Is that like playing chess against yourself? I wonder. <laughs> we need to bring Ali. Well, actually, she's in Glasgow right yeah. now, so I might just message her and go, are you about the next few weeks? Yeah. Let's have an interview. Let's let's have an interview. Yeah, <laughs> please so, do. Please do. Uh, yes. Um, yes. So, well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a wee review, a wee rating on iTunes and your podcast platform of choice. Now, you can also follow Oliver at tabletopgamesblog.com. We have a Discord, which we're usually talking about things and discussing the news and tv and stuff so come on down our twitter is twitter.com forward slash the giant brain all one word 
Our Instagram is GiantBrainUK, again, all one word. Our Facebook is The Giant Brain, once more, all one word. Our website is GiantBrain.co.uk, The Giant Brain, of course, all one word. And if you want to email us anything, drop us a wee email on GiantBrainUK, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. You look after yourselves. Take care. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye-bye.